Now, the greatest story never told with Miles and Thrill. Oh, welcome to the greatest story never told podcast. We are at episode number 46. Man, what a legacy. This is unbelievable. Is anyone still there? Okay. All right. Uh, today on the podcast, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, football. We talked about uh, the last time our little experience we had at Jillian's uh, actually doing an NFL broadcast, which, although it wasn't the most fun in the world, we still got to deal with football. And at the time uh, mm-hmm. before this, Steve and myself, we both worked for two different radio stations in two different capacities. But the one thing we had in common was that we both covered the Baltimore Ravens football team. So in different capacities. Uh, Steve was more on the technical end, the show end of the of the football team. I was more of a reporter who would go on press day a couple times a week, get my sound bites for the show. You know what I mean? I didn't really take advantage of the press passes on Sunday or the free tickets that the sales staff used to seem to get all the time. Where I could all not, the time. I could not go all the game. time. The sales but, staff. But uh, today we're going to share with you. Because selling a local NFL team, that's a tough task. Mm-hmm. If I said, hey, man, you have money, you want to advertise. You go, yeah, 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 yeah. You want to advertise during, oh, I don't know, the Seattle Seahawks? You get pretty much a 100% yes. Yeah. I would like to yep. do that. The only guy that I get tickets from was a guy named Kelly Gregg, and he played defensive tackle, and he was this guy who would show up in an old Pontiac and do the show in the morning once a week. And he was one of the Ravens guys. He was a defensive lineman. He would show up. He'd be like, hey, man. He's from Nebraska or someplace. You want my tickets this week? My family ain't coming in. <laughs> yeah, Kelly, I'll take your tickets, man. And, and, you try to, and you try to talk to him and do the interviews with him, and he was like, well, I'm just going to go in there and stuff him, and then I'm going to try to make a tackle. Well, what's the defensive plan? Well, I don't know about everybody else, but my plan is to get down on all fours, get real low, stuff him, and then try to make a tackle. Yeah, one plan. He won't go make a sack. Right. He might get a running back, but that's about it. He's stuff him. I'm going to stuff the middle. And it was him and another guy named uh, Tony Saragusa, who did some Fox work for a while on the on, on their broadcast. Mm-hmm. He was the sideline reporter. He used to be a defensive tackle as well. A couple stories about Tony Saragusa. My co-host at the time, Whitney, she would like to go up and uh, get some sound bites with us. And, of course, with the Ravens, if you're a reporter, anyone is allowed in the locker room. Sure. Now, Whitney is an attractive woman. She's tall. She's redheaded. She's got curves. She's got all this. Now, Tony Saragusa would refuse to wear a towel when he was being interviewed by Whitney, he would just stand there with his hands on his hips. It was unbelievable. And like, it's just like, here's this big, hairy dude from New Jersey. Big, big man. Yeah. I mean, this Italian dude from New Jersey, completely naked, except for the jewelry he's got of on. Of course. Standing by the <laughs> That's locker. That's not a joke, dude. You That's, know, he was your typical New Jersey Italian. It guy. was unbelievable. And the people that you would move and go back and forth from in, in that locker room at that point in time, it was kind of like a who's who of the NFL. Guys, you know. Everyone uh, was close to retirement, but the Ravens had a shot of going to the Super Bowl. Right. So you got the Deion Sanders, the Shannon Sharp. Rod, right? Rod, uh, Rod Woodson's on the team. You know, Shannon Sharp would just look at you like you're an idiot when you were answering questions. You know, and, and at one point in time, uh, I'll, I'll give you a quick one. Uh, coach uh, Billick at the time, Brian Billick, he knew that I had played college football. Now, like any coach who coaches any NFL team or any college team, you're not still quite sure the difference between the kicker and the punter. You really still just don't know. There's just, just two freaks over here, and then you got the weirdo long snapper who's like 230 pounds who can rifle the ball. I think the legs. average coach says to himself, just remember, the punter typically mm-hmm. is the taller one. He doesn't know yeah, your name. It doesn't right. matter, but like the, the taller guy uses his feet. These three are below the status of the practice squad, right. All right, just to give you a general idea. So he did know, in fact, that, uh, that, that, that I played football. In his world, I'm in the kicker realm. He does not understand that I'm a punter. Do you so, think it would have mattered? Do you think it would have mattered no, to him no, if no, you said, no. uh, actually, I'm a punter? 
So I haven't kicked the ball in a number of years. First of all, I did not go out there and warm up with Matt Stover or any of the guys that they, uh, Darren Zastadil or whatever his Z- name. Zastadil. Yeah, yeah. whatever. The, the, I didn't kick with those guys. But I watched them kick and I talked to them and stuff. And they, so they, they were kind of jabbing with the coach, put Montgomery in. So uh, I'm standing on the sidelines. I'm getting ready to do the reports. So this is at a, uh, a practice. This is like in August. It's hotter than hell. It's at Western, uh, Western Maryland University. It's hard to explain how miserable the right. weather. I mean, honestly, guy, yeah. that means it's at least 98 degrees. Right? I, I'm standing on the sidelines. I think I'd been out back and forth about seven times to rip cigarettes in the street. So, you know what I mean? I'm a smoker and all this stuff. So I'm standing on the sidelines, and I, Billick turns around. And he goes, Montgomery! And I was like, oh, Jesus, man, what did I do? And so he's like, get in here. So I put my recorder down, I run out on the field, and he's standing there, and he puts his arm around me, and he goes, all right, you make this field goal, these guys don't have to run. <laughs> you miss this field goal, I'm running their ass off. And, I mean, everybody is in my grill. B- Peter Bulware is in my grill. Ray Lewis is in my grill. You name it, all of these guys. Yeah, Sam they Adams don't is run. in my grill. This is the largest man I've ever seen in my life. All these dudes, even – Frickin' what's-his-face, the tight end who is the nicest guy in Todd the world. Heap. Todd Heap. Todd is in my grill. They are all like, you better make this, man. <laughs> like, you better make this. And I remember looking at this guy, and he kind of looked like Morgan Freeman. He was the oldest man in the world that ever played professional football. And he was his name was his name was Ben Coates, okay? Ben Coates had a pretty storied long career with the Patriots and another team. But this man, he had, he had gray hair. He looked like Ed Reed does now. He looked like Frederick frickin' Douglass. You know what I mean? He looked like just this old man winner. You know what I mean? Like, and he walks up and he's like, Don't you miss it. Kind of like when Steve talks about his relatives from Houston. Hey, boy, make sure you don't miss that field goal. Don't miss that field goal. So, <laughs> and Rodney left. And I'm like, I'm like, Coach, I'm not a kicker, man. I'm a, I'm a punter, and I don't have a square-toed shoe. I'm not going to kick this thing straight on. He's like, I'll just check a soccer style, you know, like everybody else. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, so I measure this thing off. And, I mean, people on both sides. You, It's the offense. It's the defense. It's, I mean, everybody's going to run. Snap comes back. I step up to the ball. I drill this ball. I drill this ball. I hit it as clean as I can possibly. Unfortunately, I hit it about two inches high. This ball comes off of a rocket ship, man, and it's two feet off the ground. It doesn't have a chance. It smashes Ben Coates in the back of the ass. (laughs) That's Morgan Freeman. (laughs) And he pops up, and he turns around like he is going to kill me. Like he is going to kill me. And coach says, ah, I'm just kidding, man. Everybody in. Everybody started cheering and they ran off. I was like, oh, thank God. Oh, thank freaking God. Because I thought I was going to get my ass beat by all of these guys. You know what I mean? Every player in a professional oh, football Oh, my team. God. I was like, here I am. This is my moment to shine. Right, right. I just completely f***ed it up. <laughs> Last time I was asked to go out and kick one. But, you know, I got ribbed for it. For the rest of the time. Now you got different stories as far as dealing with these guys. Yeah, I, uh, because like you said, I had to do the technical stuff. We went in and uh, I worked with a couple other guys on the station at the time. We're the flagship station. These guys are in good, but most of the players, right? And the players are familiar with them, the coaches, etc. So I'm kind of new to this thing. But let's face it, man, it's my favorite football team. And now it's not just about covering them, because to Miles's point, it sucked covering them, not them specifically, but it sucks during training camp because it's hot. And you're just standing outside, you're sweating, watching a really mm-hmm. bunch of sweaty guys pissed off to be there. So, like, it wasn't fun, but it's still, it's, it's an experience. You end up just talking to these guys as human beings. You do. Because you got so much time to kill. You know, you're standing there just effing off and just talking about whatever. And they do bring up the fact that you smoke. Mm-hmm. 
man, you let them bomb smoke. And yeah, man, that's too late. They, <laughs> we always, you go behind the bush, this little puff cloud. I'm like, not always a cigarette, dog. That's right. Uh, but one of the things inside of the training facility itself, and my God, man, their training facility, and the Ravens are known for having a nice one. It is remarkable. But they have this massive cafeteria, and 85% of it is for the players, obviously. And then there's a, a place for, like, the reporters and that kind of thing. And we have, like, big, I would call it, like, social seating. So it's, like, 20 guys at a really long table. And it's all the reporters you're familiar with. So all the guys that you see on your local news at night, all the guys that write for the paper, blah, blah, blah. They're all there. They're all covering the team. And I'm there with my guys. And we're all just chatting. But one of the things, you can get any kind of food you want, right? Because these guys need calories. So this is not like going to the veggie grill. This is like going to man heaven. So, like, if it's made out of fat it is there, man. Cafeteria is so, unbelievable. Mean, you can get steak, lasagna, all kinds of pasta. What, they just want carbs? Pork chops, ribs. They want calories. That's it. But also, it doesn't stop there. They also have big fatty desserts, right? So they have this self-serve, uh, soft-serve ice cream. All right? And to me, I don't care how old you are. If there's a place where you can self-serve ice cream and the little soft cones or whatever, like you're all about it, man. So I eat my food. I'm excited to go over there. I get some vanilla soft serve in this little cup, and Rob Woodson's there. Now, Rob Woodson, he's your consummate NFL player because, like, he does not smile. Nothing is funny to him. He's a real intense dude, but nice enough, I guess. But he walks up, and he's like, hey, man, one of the good things on this ice cream, the chocolate sprinkles. Now, the chocolate sprinkles, there's maybe 20 sprinkles total left in this container. And he's like, oh, go ahead, man. I'm like, cool. So I take what's left. I dump it on my little soft serve, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, that's cool, man. Rod Woodson actually came up to me, you know, just to say, man, put sprinkles on your ice cream. I'm like, what the kind of day is this? So I'm sitting there with the reporters. We're talking about whatever. Now, Ray Lewis is always the last guy to walk in because he does most of the media stuff. He's constantly being interviewed, and he's fresh off his murder charge. So, you know, he's still dealing with that stuff. So he rolls in about 20 minutes later. No big deal. And a couple guys greet him. And now he wanders over to the soft serve ice cream, and he's chatting with a few guys. And he's kind of absently making himself a cone or a bowl or whatever. But he drops his, his ice cream in his bowl. Then there's this weird pause, and you're like, Who the f ate all the goddamn chocolate sprinkles? <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my God, right? I mean, so everyone on my table is looking at me, and I'm, I'm like begging them with my eyes, like, Please. Do not say anything. Like, he's seriously melting down about this. Mm-hmm. So I, I, Same order has been disturbed. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, oh man, it gets real uncomfortable. And what I realized was, I guess everyone on the team at the time knew that Ray's all about chocolate sprinkles yeah. on his freaking ice cream. Well, I don't know that my man is going crazy for like a good two minutes, which doesn't sound long, but two minutes when you may or may not be on the receiving end of a Ray Lewis beatdown is a lot. And again, the whole time I'm like... Your goddamn chocolate sprinkles, These man. These dudes this are is, huge. This is not the way yeah. to react. But I'm not going to tell him, Ray, don't you think you're overreacting? What are you, a child? That's what I'm thinking. You're not going to say that to him. See, no, no, all I'm thinking is that he full-on set you up. Rod Woodson did. You no. bet. Yes, yes, he, he, yes, he did. Because yeah, he's, he's a stealer. Yes, he did. <laughs> he was a stealer. That's he's right. a jackass. Once a stealer. So, was a, so Ray Lewis is freaking the F out. Now, no one points out that it's me, and whoever works back in the kitchen eventually comes out with a refreshed tray or cup or whatever it is of chocolate sprinkles, right? And now the world's a fine place, and Ray got his sprinkles. And after all, and seriously, man, like, my hands were shaking because he is, dude, like, he's pissed mm-hmm. off. And all some of the players are kind of chuckling about it, but, you know, whatever the case, 
when all of this goes away and Ray finally puts his sprinkles and settles his soul and soothes back into a human being, because that's what it takes. Uh, God, I hate to say it like that. He'll hear this and be like, I heard what you said. Um, <laughs> but once he got his sprinkles, I remember Rob Watson just looks at me from across this room. And the one and only time I've ever seen this man smile was then. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you mother. But I'm say, not I'll saying anything this. to him It either. is intimidating as the players were in the locker room. The coaches were more intimidating. Yeah. Brian, Brian Billick was like six foot seven. He weighed like 230 pounds. He is a huge dude. Some of the other coaches, between like Mike Singletary, Ken Norton Sr., these guys were already professional linebackers. Yeah, but like Mike Singletary also is crazy. He, they're At least all nuts. The, yeah, but like Mike Singletary, look, they're all nuts. They have to be intense based on the nature of the job. Mike Singletary, to me, is crazy among crazy people. People you that can't, can't look close at him in their the eyes. eyes. You can't look at him in the eyes. Like, he doesn't blink. Like, I'm yeah, Mike Singletary so, does not have eyelids. A man just stares at everything. And I'm like, there's something fa- wrong with him. Man. We've had a couple other weird experiences. Fast forward probably a few years from this point in time. Uh, Steve and I are doing like a pregame party broadcast, something down by near the stadiums. I can't remember what the hell it is. What the hell is it? We, we just did like some kind of party, or I don't know what the hell it was. But so we're sitting down there with White Leroy and a couple other people. In this oh, parking yeah. lot, all right? And kickoff time's at 105. This jacked Mercedes just pulls up right beside us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, this is like one of the nicest ones you could buy. And keep in mind, it's 1130. Kickoff's at 1 o'clock. One of the DBs jumps out, Chris McAllister, and he's got a couple tickets. He's like, hey, Trina and such and such are going to come by and get these tickets, whatever. Like, just give them to him. Like, all right, man. It's, I'm looking at my watch like, it's 1130, man. You got to get in there and get taped up. He's kind of notorious. Yeah, late. so he's just kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets in his car. Not a half an hour later, these two strippers, I mean, I absolute mean, strippers, <laughs> come up and take the tickets from us. Which was, uh, yeah, yeah, Chris, Chris said, he left you the got the tickets. <laughs> yeah, we got the tickets right here. Oh, my. Look at that go down. Like, mm. snake, you know, skirt, like walking down in heels. Still got a mile to go to the stadium. You know, one of those situations. Situations where you're just like, Jesus Christ. The only other ones that I know um, that are a little bit. Uh, there was one guy who the team hated so much that they basically left him passed out drunk in a restaurant kitchen one night. With food in his mouth. Yes. They, that's, that's, I will not say who the player was. They just gotten him that year. And right. uh, the guy's a D bag, notorious D bag. But usually teammates will still back the guy up. They did not like him either. The team that he had left before that did not like him. So we're talking to a bartender. He's like, yeah. Some of the guys from the team were in the other night. This particular gentleman somehow made it back into our kitchen where he should not have been. Passed out drunk. I want to say he had a biscuit in his mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did. They stuffed like a roll in his yeah. mouth. Or something. Uh, Steve would do these gigs where uh, Ed Reed would show up, but Ed Reed had the hots for this chicken, like a Best Buy or whatever it was. But the girl, wa- Club. the girl wanted to have sex with Steve instead. Was just pissing Ed Reed off. Like he's I a pro it. athlete, multi million dollar contract. She didn't want to have anything. She wanted to do me. With it. He's all pro. Here comes this schleppy AM guy in a t shirt, hadn't showered in a week. And- <laughs> She wants to FM. She wants me. Yeah. And look what Ed Reed got. Hall of Fame. <laughs> so what? Uh, he looks like She you know. wanted me. By the way, I will say, Ed Reed, probably the nicest, nicest professional athlete I've ever mm-hmm. been around. And then one more story before I go about uh, Steve almost killing a kid in a bouncy house. Now, again, this goes back to Ray Lewis and the potential for Ray Lewis's temper. So I don't know how we got this gig. It's just through the radio station. But basically, Ray Lewis, whatever you think of him, one thing he did every year uh, for impoverished kids in Baltimore, also known as kids in Baltimore, he would uh, kind of do like a secret Santa thing. I mean, he just took whatever money he had and he bought, and not like crap toys either, man. You're talking like remote control planes. I mean, stuff you wanted your parents to buy you, but they wouldn't. So he would do that because, look, once a year, these kids got anything. And one thing about him was they did it in this kind of like, I don't know, youth 
center somewhere in East Baltimore. And this dude would sit down and each and every kid would come up and sit on his lap like Santa Claus and tell them what they wanted for Christmas, blah, blah, blah. But he would sit there and do it with every kid. There was no time limit. You know what I mean? He, I think most of us, you know, no matter how murderous we might be, when it comes to kids and helping them out, right, that's the kindness. Well, in the basement of this thing, they had this giant-ass bouncy house, moon bounce, whatever you want to call it. No problem. So for part of this function, me and this other guy I worked with, he was just like, Hey, fellas, need to do me a favor. No problem, Ray. What do you need, man? Down in the basement, got the moon house bouncy thing. Essentially, just keep an eye on the kids because these kids, they weren't over the age of 10 maybe. So the idea was 12 can get on at any one time, right? And then you get them out of there after like three minutes, whatever it is. You take the next group of 12, you get them. It's like an amusement park, right? No problem. How hard can this be? So things are going smoothly. Me and my buddy are down there, and I... First 12 get on, you do the quick head count as they enter, and they bounce around, and they do their thing, and we time it out, and we call them out. You do the head count again, so it's like the third group of kids goes in, they bounce around, and now they're walking out, and we're doing the head count, and we get to 11. And it's like, hey, man, I think we're missing a kid. He's like, and keep in mind, we don't know these kids. I don't know what they look like, so I don't know who I'm looking for. I don't know if it's a boy, if it's a girl. I don't. We just know 12 went in, 11 came out. We look at a bouncy house. There's nothing. Like, there is no kid. This is like Stranger Things. Like, homie has disappeared, man. And we're like, <laughs> oh, my God. So one of the kids or one of the groups goes, well, I can go upstairs and tell Mr. Lewis. We're like, hell no. You will not go upstairs and mm. tell Ray Lewis that we lost a kid. Shut your effing mouth. Hang on. Let's figure this out. Our whole thing is, I'm not telling him we lost no. a kid. He'll kill us. Okay, and again, it's right after his murder stuff, you know what I mean? So the idea that he'll kill you, you're not necessarily being figurative. Like, no, no, man, I mean, like, he might kill us, kill us. So we are looking for this kid we cannot find, and, and the other little kids are no help. Like, guys, one of your friends, we can't find him. Do you know where they are? You know, kids, they just shrug, and they don't necessarily know each other either, right? And it's like, oh, my freaking God. I don't know who their mother is upstairs. Like, we can't, like, pull her aside. I'll tell you this. She's looking at Ray's gladiator collection in his living room because it looks <laughs> and, like 300 up there. And we just, we don't know what to do. So, man, but our whole thing, we're starting to sweat because I'm like, look, and this sounds bad, but I was less worried about the kid than I was about me. All right? Look, <laughs> if the kid had been kidnapped or grabbed by a pit bull and dragged out in the parking lot, I didn't care. The problem was the fact that it happened to my wife, I got to deal with Ray Lewis. So, like, the safety of the kid, sad as it might be, second on my list of priorities. My self-preservation is definitely peaking here. And my buddy Ben, he's sweating, too, and it's like, oh, my God. So, after about four minutes, we find this kid. And thank God the kid didn't suffocate. When you set up these bouncy house things, the bottom of it, the part they're jumping on, it's like it's its own air mattress. And then the part that covers it is a separate piece. We did not realize this. The kid somehow got wedged between the air mattress and the part that you attach to the outside. So when we're looking for this kid, you see this little hand popped up. And we're like, oh, thank God. I mean, we we pulled this sweaty-ass kid. Oh, you all right, man? You all right? Yeah? Almost okay. drowned in the bouncy house. Hey, just do it. So honestly, God, last words I spoke to this kid. I said, do me a solid, brother. Do not tell Ray Lewis what happened. <laughs> I swear to God. It's like, look. You can come back. <laughs> You're right. You'll get invited again. <laughs> you can go in with everybody every time. There you go for football, guys. There's the uh, greatest story uh, never told podcast. Episode number 46 in the books. Now we're going to do a little sit and spin and get ready for a show. Fit and spin. Fit and fall. You've been listening to The Greatest Story Never Told with Miles and Thrill on Radio.com. Oh, man. 
A Double Flush Production. 